everybody. Glad you guys are here and with us today. Uh, I was thinking this week, uh, to kind of get us going, I was thinking this week about time in, times in my life when I have gotten disappointing uh, Christmas gifts or dif- different kinds of gifts, holiday gifts, uh, in, in that sense. I remember, uh, and I may have shared some of these with you before, you might know some, might not know others, but I can remember when I was a kid, for whatever reason, there was one year in particular that I set my eyes as a Christmas gift. I, I was like, you know what? I want a stereo. Now, this is not like stereos have gotten proportionately smaller over the years. So, like, this is like they had speakers that were like this tall. And it was like this big cabinet kind of stereo kind of thing. And so I, I managed to to kind of sneak through uh, or, or to take my parents through every single uh, every single time we were in Walmart, I would take my parents over to the stereo section and I would show them exactly which ones I would really enjoy and that would be really a great Christmas gift, you know, kind of thing. I was, it was that, like, ev- I did it time and time again. As, as it got a little closer to Christmas, I started cutting out, like, we'd get these things in the Sunday paper or whatever of sales going on. So I started cutting out ones, and I'm like, oh, these would be excellent choices. You know, I'd leave them around the house and different things. I had the conversation with my parents several times to let them know it would be totally okay for me to not get any other Christmas gift if, we could, if I could just get the stereo. And I can remember, uh, you know, Christmas Eve finally arrives, packages show up underneath the tree. I am checking them out, looking all around to see, is there a big one, like is there a a big honking box that would be big enough to contain a stereo? And I thought, I came down Christmas morning, no such box existed. I'm like, shoot, and I'm like, well, maybe they got me a smaller one, you know, so you're kind of eyeing stuff up. I started opening presents on Christmas morning, no stereo, no stereo. I got down to the last box, and it was way too small to be a stereo, and I was like, ah, oh, shoot, and I, there was a sense of disappointment uh, in me, but not nearly as much as when I opened it up to discover it was a, a cinder block, it was a concrete block my parents had wrapped up and put under the tree for me, and I, <laughs> it was a moment of like, what is going on? I did end up getting a stereo that year, but they were messing with me, so it's my parents' idea of a joke, but disappointment, right, disappointing gifts, a cinder block has got to be towards the top of the list. I remember another time, uh, I and again, these are like the biggest gifts I think I've I, I ever got in, in uh, as a kid. But I can remember uh, another time. I, this, I was probably a little younger at the time, and this when um, like kind of home computers was kind of a newer thing. And so like like uh, the kinds of computers that kids would get were like Commodore sixty four or Texas Instruments, uh, kind of like high you know, high-powered machines, I think. And so I had set my eyes on getting a, a Texas instrument computer. They had to, like, hook it up to the TV, if that makes sense, like, behind. It was it had a whopping, like, 16K of powerful RAM and then <laughs> ROM modules and stuff. They put, uh, you know, high-quality games. I, I think one that came with it was called Hunt the Wampus or something. It was like, like what kind of kids these days would be shocked and appalled. <laughs> uh, but anyway, anyway, for whatever reason, I had set my eyes on that, and I thought, you know what, I want this kind of gift. And I actually got it uh, one year for Christmas, and it was at the big Christmas gathering, and so me and my cousins, we hooked it up to a TV, we put it on our carpeted floor, and we start playing games and stuff, and we slide it back and forth, we slide it over, my cousin plays it, he slides it back, and I don't know if you know anything about computers, but static electricity, not so much a good thing, it fried the computer, I'd had it for like 30 minutes, and it was done, it wouldn't even turn on again, and I can remember a level of disappointment uh, filling my soul. I mean, I I don't know if I started crying, but I felt like started, you know, like like crying, like no, 
moral kind of thing, disappointment, right? It was, I got, what, I got what I wanted, and yet within 30 minutes, it was utterly disappointed. Well, I think all of us know what that feels like, right? I mean, like I can remember, like you fast forward probably 20 years from there, and uh, I can remember Tina and I were married. Uh, it was, um, we'd been up in Wisconsin starting a church there. We were there for maybe, I don't know, two, three years, something like that. And, uh, and right around Thanksgiving uh, one year, we found out that Tina was pregnant, and we were overjoyed. We were delighted, right? I mean, we were like, woohoo, this is awesome. In fact, we were so excited. There's one of those that, I, and like I said, I can't remember exactly. Maybe it was at Thanksgiving. We started sharing the news with family and friends, like, oh, we're expecting, and all this kind of stuff. And there's joy. Tina was glowing, right? I mean, it was an amazing sort of moment, and we were, we were so excited. And then the week between uh, Christmas and New Year's, I remember she had a miscarriage and lost the baby. And there was a level of disappointment and disillusionment and just sadness, right, that, had, that filled our hearts. And then we had to go back to every one of those people that, that we had shared with and share, you know what, we lost the baby, and share it again and again and again. And to the point where it kind of just killed us. Like, it was just sad and depressing and everything else. What had been so exciting and so glee-producing suddenly was utterly disappointing and sad, and a little piece of us felt like it died at that time. All of us know what that feels like. If you care about anyone or anything, chances are at some point in your life, you've been disappointed. If you care about a lot of people or a lot of things, chances are you and I have been disappointed again and again and again. We've gotten gifts that, that are disappointing, or we haven't gotten gifts that we wanted, and that was disappointing. Or somebody that we cared about did something that was hurtful to us, and that was disappointing. We've been let down or disillusioned or disappointed again and again and again and again. It's part of life, right? And it could be all kinds of things. I, 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 if you have expectations or hopes or dreams, then you've probably experienced disappointment somewhere along your journey. Disappointed by spouses or parents or friends or coworkers or bosses or companies or churches or jobs or whatever. All of us have experienced that at some point. I think sometimes I'll hear people talk about um, things that they dream about, you know, dreams that they have in their hearts or in their lives, and uh, and, and they're usually pretty simple. Like their their, their hopes or dreams are like, well, I just want to I want to be happy. I want to experience good things. People will talk about sometimes about like God's blessing, and I, and I totally get it. I understand exactly what they mean. They're like, man, like. Man, if, if, if only we could live in a world where we all got raises all the time, where everything was stable and everything sort of went our way. Like if, it, 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 we, nobody says this, but it's sort of like if I were God, that's the way I would make the world, right? Like it would just, it would, everything would be sunshine and rainbows and unicorns, right? The sun would shine in January and February. Winter would last about three weeks during Christ, the Christmas season. We'd get snow, and then it'd be like warm room temperature the rest, you know, like the rest of the time. It'd be awesome. Yeah, like if only I could wave a magic wand, that is what we would want. And yet, that's not the reality of the world we live in, is it? And again, in so many ways, in big ways, in small ways, we experience disappointment. Well, we are on week number two of a series that we're doing here at Ignite, and it's called A Season of Waiting. And throughout this whole series, we're kind of addressing some of those times in our lives when we've been praying and hoping and waiting, but God doesn't seem to be coming through or showing up or answering the way we want him to or in the timeline that we want him to. 
And so we're talking about what do we do when God seems late, or what do we do when God doesn't seem to cooperate with our plans, but just leaves us waiting and waiting and waiting. And so we're spending a couple of weeks uh, during this, this lead up to Christmas looking at the Christmas story and kind of different parts of it that have to deal with waiting. We're going to cross a couple quotes this week to kind of go along with some of what we've been talking about. Uh, this first one is from uh, J.D. Greer. He says this. He says, if you find yourself waiting right now, don't assume it's because you've done something wrong. In fact, waiting is an essential part of the Christian life. Last week, we talked quite a bit about this. We said, boy, what the difference between waiting versus waiting on God. And we said, man, uh, actually, you look through the story of the Bible from beginning to end, there's waiting, right? There's, there's, there's this, uh, we're, we're called as Christ followers to wait on the Lord. And when we do so, it actually ends up being for our good uh, and, and not to our detriment. Jeff Ames says this, I ran across this this week, thought it was good. He says, when it seems that God is saying and doing nothing, he said, rest assured that he is working on your behalf. He's working behind the scenes. He isn't as noisy as the enemy, but he's more powerful and he will win. I thought that was a great quote. Right? He's at work, even when we can't see it. And sometimes because of that, he says, wait. Well, today we're going to be talking about waiting when God doesn't tend to cooperate with our plans, or, or, or waiting when God doesn't give us what we want, or maybe even worse, when God gives us unwanted gifts. And I was thinking this weekend, I'm like, well, yeah, if you think about 2020, I think, can we all agree that 2020 was an unwanted gift for most of us? We're like, here you go, you know, here's the coronavirus, you're isolated, you're in your homes, you know, the economy's all over the place, like, here you go, and it, we're kind of like, thanks, <laughs> what is it? I don't think I want it, <laughs> I kinda, it's, it's been a heck of a year, and there's been plenty to be disappointed by and disillusioned with, and so I we're going to kind of dig in today. I w- today I want us to dig into the Christmas story through this lens of waiting and this lens of, of what happens when God gives us something maybe that we don't want or that's unexpected or that's disappointing. And we're going to zero in on uh, the story of uh, primarily about Mary, the beginning of the Christmas story. But, but when we talk about Mary, one who was incredibly impacted by the Christmas story. And while I won't say that she was disappointed per se, I will say that things did not go as she planned or expected. And so I want us to just to read the story, and I think there's some cool stuff uh, that I've learned this week that I'm going to share with you, and I think God has some good stuff to speak into our lives right now in the midst of 2020 and even the hopes of a new year and uh, some of the plans that he might have in store for us. So let's read this together. Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 26 says this. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth is the mother of John the Baptist, a relative of, of, of Mary and Joseph. So we'll just kind of say that. In the sixth, month, uh, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
when Elizabeth, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, uh, and she was said to, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Verse thirty-eight. This is great. This is the response. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, "May your word to me be fulfilled." Literally, it means, "May it be to me as you have said." And then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. All right, we'll stop there for right now. Well, in our day, getting engaged and planning a wedding, is that a big deal or a little deal? It's a huge deal, right? I mean, it's a, it's a billion-dollar industry in the U.S. especially, right? People spend months, sometimes years, and they spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars all on getting married. Uh, these days, and, and I'm really glad that uh, we got engaged and married before the social media era, right? When you have to have a story and it's got to be like on film and you're like videoing this, like every word you say. Even, even the proposal is supposed to be this huge deal. And then it comes to planning the wedding. Sometimes uh, people, and, uh, and I'll stereotype here, say some, there are sometimes that young girls even will be dreaming about weddings and planning for years and years and years and years before it even happens. The, the whole idea of, of the romance and the, the, man, the finding the perfect one, the one, right, kind of thing. And they, they meet and they fall madly in love and they get engaged and then one day they get married. And we spend, a, it, it's a huge deal. In fact, there's, uh, I, was, I was looking this week, let me see if I can find it. Uh, there's, I mean, Thousands and thousands of books on Amazon's on the topic, and, and, and in fact, uh, dozens and dozens of monthly magazines published uh, on the topic of weddings, of getting married. There's Modern Bride, there's Today's Bride, there's Elegant Bride, Chicago Bride, and Bride Again magazine for what they call Encore Brides. <laughs> and uh, I mean, there's a, people spend a ton of money and time and effort and energy and, and, uh, and, and dreaming uh, on this whole idea of getting married. It was a huge deal on planning the big event. Well, for Mary, too, getting engaged, the possibility of getting married was a huge deal, but not in the same way at all. For her, there would be no ring. There were no magazines or books to order on Amazon. Uh, there wasn't really a big event to be planned. Getting engaged was significant for Mary because literally it could, it could mean the difference between life and death for her. Mary was a part of a group of people uh, I've read about. I, I shared this one time before, but I think it's fascinating. I, I got into it this week. A, a group of people known as the Anoim. It's a Hebrew word that means literally the poor ones, or sometimes it mean, it's referred to as the faithful poor. The Anoim were the financially deprived, depressed, the lonely, the sick, the widowed, the orphans, the disabled, those who could not trust in their own strength but had to depend on God to provide for them. According to scholars, they were characterized by a few features. One of them was that they just regularly cried out to God. They, had to, they were begging God for provision, for daily bread, because, again, they couldn't take care of those needs on their own. There's psalms in the Old Testament that actually use the term that refer to the Anoim. And one of them is Psalm 149, verse 4. It says this. It says, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Listen to this. He adorns the humble, the Anoim, right? He adorns the humble with salvation, right? It's referring to their dependence on God. It's sort of talking about how God watches over the humble, the poor. It's a classic Anoim sort of statement and reference. These are people who would 
hang around the temple and spend time crying out to God as much as possible. Even last week, we talked about two characters uh, that were in, in late, a little later in the Christmas t- story, two characters that were hanging out around the temple that actually recognized and responded to Jesus. The first one was a guy. Anybody remember what his name was? Okay, the first one was a guy named Simeon, and the second one was a young woman named Anna. Okay, you guys were not paying attention whatsoever last week. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But Simeon and Anna, remember, we, Anna, we're told, she had uh, lived with her husband like seven years, and then she was a widow until she was 84 years old. She's been a widow for decades, and it says she never left the temple, but she worshipped night and day. You want to guess what Anna was? She was a part of the Anawim, right? She, she was poor. She was part of the faithful poor. These are people who waited eagerly for God to help them because they knew they just couldn't take care of things on their own. Well, Mary was a part of this group as well. We can know for, for multiple reasons. One is because uh, when she went to, uh, to, to make her offering uh, for Jesus and for purification and all that kind of stuff, she and they couldn't even afford a lamb. She was poor. We can also see it in her prayer in Luke 148 where she says, He, God, has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. That's sort of code language for this whole Anawim kind of people. She knows about being in humble circumstances, about depending on God because he is her only hope for survival. So you kind of got the picture? She's poor. In that day, being a poor woman without a husband, without a family, without whatever, there was no way for you to provide for yourself. There was no way to eat. There was no way to whatever. So she was used to just depending on God. So imagine with me, something good finally happens to this poor girl, this poor girl named Mary. She gets engaged. And she gets engaged, I mean, to a hardworking young carpenter. She must have been overjoyed, you can imagine. Because, because what this would mean for her is she would have someone that could provide for her. She would have a roof over her head. She would have food on the table. She, and, and Joseph was a good man, right? And so she's like, she must have been overjoyed. He's not rich, but he was a good worker. He would make an honest living. Mary, for the first time, would have hope. She'll have somebody to provide for her. She'd have the promise of food and shelter and safety and security and stability that will come into her life. Joseph would be a good good provider and a good husband. That'd be great news for Mary, right? Can we all just feel that for a second? Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, if if you're coming from the streets, you're coming from nothing, and all of a sudden you're going to be welcomed into a home, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that feel good? Like, oh, you guys are not giving me anything. Wouldn't that feel good? Yeah, absolutely. Now, now, now keep in mind, this is the point at which God busts into the story, right? And you're like, no, don't bust into the story, God. Like, things are going really well. Let's just kind of keep on this path. Let's keep going in this trajectory. But God busts in, in, in this, into the story in an unexpected and probably in an unwanted kind of way. God sends an angel, and he says to Mary, he says, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And when the angel greeted her that way, what was her response? How did she feel? What, is the, what does the text say? How did she feel? She was greatly troubled, right? She was greatly troubled. Well, why? Well, we'll see in a second. Mary knew the scripture. She knew many of the uh, Old Testament stories. And oftentimes, when God would show up, when God would send an angel, there would be a greeting like this, 
you know, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And then that was just before the moment when God would give you kind of an impossible task. Probably the best example of this is Gideon in the Old Testament, in Judges chapter 6, where an angel appears to him and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. <laughs> and you're like, uh-oh, right? What, what's next? And, 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 and you, for in that story, you see uh, Gideon has his army of thousands and thousands of people, and there's an opposing army that's coming against him that's much larger, 135,000 people. God shows up and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, and then manages to send almost his entire army home <laughs> until there's just 300 left against an army of 135,000 people. And God said, I like those odds, right? This, this, is, this is what I, so when God shows up like that with that kind of a greeting, it's often because he's about to give you an, an incredible faith-stretching sort of task, right? And so God shows up and says, says to Mary, says, the Lord is with you, and she is greatly troubled. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I kind of get that. I mean, how often do you read in the Bible where an angel of the Lord comes and interrupts people and their lives just become all comfortable and nice and safe and everything like that? It just doesn't happen that way, does it? Now, we might want that. We might seek that comfort and that safe life. We might pray for that. Again, if we were God, we might arrange the world that way. But when the king comes and when he gives instructions and he interrupts our lives, Typically, it's a summons to servanthood. Typically, it's a summons to step out of our comfort zones, to, to, to interrupt typical patterns uh, and, and take us out beyond our safety, out beyond what we can do, and ask us to trust God and his plans. It's almost always a call, a call to leave comfort and control and safety behind and to forge ahead with God in a new adventure. I mean, think about even just the regular characters that we think of in the Christmas story. Mary and Joseph and shepherds and wise men, all of them were asked to leave home, <laughs> right? All of them had to step out beyond what they knew, beyond their little home and their little comfort zones. And yet they got to be a part of the story of the coming of the king. So God shows up, tells Mary, basically, yeah, we're going on a trip. It's going to be an adventure. I'm going to turn your life upside down or maybe right side up. You know, all that stuff that you were looking forward to, right? Settling down, having a husband to provide for you, giving you food and shelter and stability and safety. I'm going to put all of that in jeopardy, but it's okay. You can trust me. I want you to come and follow me. I mean, a lot of that is going to change because you're going to become pregnant outside of marriage can i just ask the question in this day and age in, the, in, in that i should say that day and age that culture getting married or getting pregnant outside of marriage good thing or bad thing what would what do you think would happen to somebody that that was that that was the case for stone them ostracized Right? I mean, like, it was bad. You'd either be, like, completely, like, almost shunned and shut out, forced to the fringes of society, ignored, kind of looked down on, judged, all that kind of stuff. In some cases, people were stoned. Like, they would kill them for such things. I mean, this was a huge kind of deal. They'd stone her. I mean, that's, it, it's just crazy. Either way, she'd probably never get married. In, no person, you know, would want to be around if, if you got married and they were pretty sure it wasn't them, right? Your, your potential husband-to-be uh, would likely walk 
and you would be forced to fend for yourself and your baby in a way that you couldn't provide for them, in a way that would seem almost hopeless. And so God shows up and says, you know, wow, I'm, I'm taking you on an adventure, right? But it's going to require uh, way more than you can possibly understand. It's going to seem like almost an impossible situation. Uh, I ran across this quote this week, too. I thought this summed it up well. Put that next slide up, if you would. Is it not there? Okay, well, that is definitely not it. Okay, well, I'll just, I don't even know where that came from, <laughs> but I'll, I'll just read it. It says this, in a way that most of us can never fully understand, Mary had to completely resign herself to never being understood, never being believed, or never being affirmed. I mean, can you imagine going home and saying to your parents, or maybe to, to your in-laws, your future in-laws, I'm pregnant, but don't worry, it's, it's God's, right? God's the father, it's not me. I mean, can you imagine having to explain that to people? Can you imagine the looks you get around the village? Like, uh-huh, oh, so God got you pregnant, right? I mean, can you, it just doesn't even make sense. People would, 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 you would be suspect probably for the rest of your life. And yet, here's what I, I want us to notice. What's her response? This is jaw-dropping kind of stuff. She says in verse 38, she says, I'm the Lord's servant, May your word to me be fulfilled. May it happen to me just as you have said. I mean, it's an incredible statement. She's basically saying, God, I'm yours. Have your way in me. I'm not in control. You are in control. My life, my reputation, my security, my safety, my comfort, my provision, my pride, all of it I entrust into your hands, God. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do whatever plans you have for my life, I will follow. She's basically saying, I surrender, God. I am yours. I choose to want what you want. I surrender my life, my will, my plans to you. It's incredible. It's an incredible statement, given the circumstances she's in. I think uh, this is just my thoughts, but I, I'll tell you what. I, I have to wonder if this isn't precisely why God chose her. I mean, think of it. God sort of scanned the world a little bit at this point and said, who, would, who do I want to entrust my son to? What, what, what mother out there to be, the potential mother? Where would I like to? And he chose Mary to do that. And I have to wonder if partially this isn't why, right, that has a heart that says, God, whatever you want, I want. Have your will. May your will be done. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. With that kind of a heart, I wonder if God didn't look on her and say, yeah, I choose you, right? I, I, I choose that kind of heart to be the mom of my son. It's an amazing kind of thing, amazing statement. I surrender to you. Can I just hit the pause button for a second and say, man, I wonder, I wonder if for some of us this year, we, I mean, man, there, with everything going on, I wonder if instead of kicking against the goads, instead of being frustrated and angry, right, that things aren't working out the way we want, instead of, instead of whatever, trying to take matters into our own hands or whatever, I wonder if there are some areas for us where we need to pray that kind of prayer, where we need to have that kind of heart that says, God, I'm yours. Whatever you want from me, whatever you want for me, I surrender to your will. May it be as you have said, God. May it be as you have said, I am yours. Now, it could be that there's some major decisions in your life right now. Maybe there's stuff going on that's, that, that you, know, you just don't know what to do with money or jobs or relationships or whatever else. Maybe, there's, so he, maybe he's asking you to forgive someone 
could be a decision about something that God is asking you to do or whatever. He's asking you, I, I wonder if, if our response today isn't just to surrender to him and say, God, whatever you want, I choose. Have your will in me. Have your way in me. Maybe he's asking you to step outside of your comfort zone, to take a risk uh, for him. Maybe he's asking you to share Jesus with somebody, to invite somebody to our Christmas Eve service. Maybe he's, he's prompting you to give some money away. I, uh, we had a, this is pretty cool. I got a, we got a text or email, I don't know, whatever, uh, this week of somebody that said, hey, I've got some extra money, some money I typically give away this time of year. Do you guys have anyone that could use some help with Christmas gifts? And, uh, and the, that same day, we got a, a hit on our Facebook uh, account. Somebody had chimed in and said, you know what, uh, single mom has a couple of kids, somebody I think we've helped in the past, uh, maybe at the Christmas shop or something. And she said, you know what, I lost my job this year due to COVID. I, I'm just, I, I'm not even making it to pay my bills, and there's no way I can spend any money for Christmas, right? She's like, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm wondering, is there any way, do you guys have any any way to help people like like this and I was like you know what we just had somebody today and so I kind of screenshot it and we texted it off and uh, they came in yesterday and we were able to just bless them and I'm like man how cool is that she was weeping I mean just so appreciative and just felt like the Lord had provided that for her and for her kids and and uh, I'm just like, maybe God's prompting you to do something like that, just to, just to be radically generous this time of year. And it's hard because with everything going on, you're like, I'm not so sure of this, this. This doesn't make sense. I don't know what to do, all this kind of stuff. And maybe God is saying, you know, you just need to surrender that to my will. God, I am yours. May it be as you have said. Have your way in me. So I don't know what God's uh, prompting you to do, but I wonder if there's just some way that we just need to lay down and quit striving and quit being angry and quit going off and just lay it down and say, God, I am yours. All right. One of the things that I think is cool and just to remind us of is sometimes uh, we imagine that uh, that when we surrender like that, that it's actually going to be to our detriment. Right, that, that it's going to be just hard and low. It's all going to be sacrifice, all this kind of stuff. But the, uh, we're, here's where we're going in just a second. I, I want you to see how this plays out in the story because it, it leads to joy, right? Sac- surrendering to the Lord leads to joy. And it does so in every situation eventually, right? It will lead to joy as we follow, as we serve, as we surrender. It leads to joy. The first lesson for Mary, the first thing I want us to, to pay attention to is just the way that she surrenders to the king. And we have to ask ourselves, God, how do you want me to surrender today? How do you want me to lay my life down? What are you asking me to lay down before you and to trust you with and to commit myself and my life and my plans into your will, like your will and your way? But the second thing I want us to notice is that uh, surrendering and trusting in the king leads to worship and joy. Verse 46, we're going to jump ahead. Again, her response is just unbelievable. This is what she says, verse 46. Mary says, again, in the midst of all this uncertainty, in the midst of all this kind of stuff, she says, my soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. 
verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those uh, who, are, who are proud in their inmost being, in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful, verse 55, to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So the second thing I want us to notice is that Mary stops to express her wonder and worship and joy and delight in what God is doing and what he's going to do for her, in her, and through her. As I said just a minute ago, when we surrender to God and his plans, sooner or later, somewhere down the line, it will lead to joy. In this passage, Mary stops uh, to do one thing before she gets on with her life, before she has to live out this decision that the angel had announced to her. And she worships and she prays. This prayer is actually referred to as the Magnificat because of the first line, my soul magnifies the Lord, she says. My soul magnifies or glorifies the Lord. This whole prayer is sort of a classic example of the prayer, again, of the Anoim, right? It's, in it, the humble are exalted, the proud are brought down, the hungry get fed, selfish, rich people are sent away empty. It's kind of the great upside-down principle, and it's one of the hallmarks of the kingdom of God. The first shall be last, and the last shall be, shall be first. The servants are great, but the slaves are the greatest of all. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Anybody ever hear this kind of teaching before? Where does it come from? Where have you heard it? Jesus, right? Sermon on the Mount, absolutely. This, uh, yeah, I mean, Jesus. But actually, Mary sees it here, and she prays it she, before Jesus spoke it, and she rejoiced in it. She launches into this whole sort of rejoicing sort of prayer. Now we get uh, kind of some glimpses here of, of Mary and who she is in this era. Something I read uh, this week, which is, which is pretty cool, is, was t- talking about how many different Old Testament allusions uh, there were in this one short prayer. This, how many Old Testament references there were. Uh, there's an author, uh, a scholar called Scott McKnight who had done a, bu- a bunch of research. Anybody want to guess? I mean, it's, it's only like, what, five, six lines in this prayer. How many different Old Testament allusions there are? Take a guess. 30, 30 different Old Testament allusions in, in just a few verses. Uh, it's really pretty, a pretty amazing thing. What it reveals is a, a heart and a mind that had been saturated with God's book. Anybody want to guess how old Mary was? Scholars think she was 13, 13 years old. And she's praying a, a magnificent prayer that in her mind and heart are so saturated in God's word that there's 30 different references in this prayer to Old Testament verses, Old Testament verses. What does this tell you about her, about how she knew God and how she knew God's word? 13 years old, and she had probably lots of scripture memorized. She was very, very familiar with this kind of thing. A 13-year-old girl praying like that. It's amazing what God can do and what God will do through 13-year-old girls and boys, people that obviously know God and, and know his word and will spend time praying and drawing near to him like that. Mary's mind was so immersed in God's word. It's very much like what we talked about last week. This was a girl that knew God and his word, and it's no surprise to me that God would choose her to bring into this world the Savior. I mentioned... Uh, 
a little of this earlier, but I think it's fascinating. I mean, Mary was more than just an incubator for the body of Jesus. She was his mom, handpicked by God. I mean, somewhere along the line, after Jesus was 12 years old, his dad probably died because by the time he's an adult, we never read about Joseph ever again. But many, many, many of the themes in Jesus' teaching and many of the things that come out in Jesus' ministry, we find right here coming out of the lips of a 13-year-old mom named Mary. John Ortberg is an author and a pastor, and he points out a bunch of this kind of stuff. He says in verse 49, Mary says, holy, when she's praying, she's praying, holy is his name. And he says, boy, do you remember how, when Jesus taught his followers to pray, what he taught them to pray? He said, when you pray, pray like this, Father in heaven, holy is your name, hallowed be your name, holy is your name. Where'd that come from? I mean, Mary, I mean, it, it's crazy. It goes on to say, I mean, she goes on to, to pray. God has filled the hungry with good things. Jesus teaches his followers to pray, give us today our daily bread, right, kind of thing. There's, there's just image after image and, and illusion after illusion that we can see. From a human perspective, you can see it echoed in Mary's prayer and into Jesus' teaching. She knew God. She knew his word. She was transformed by the Lord and led by the Lord. And we can see the very same things coming out of the lips of this 13-year-old girl. Well, here's what's so striking about this. This expression of joy, of great, unstoppable joy, where she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, right? For he has done good things for me. Holy is his name, right? She, she's just expressing and worshiping and praising God for all this before anything had happened. So, like, she, she's, she's praying this way, and she doesn't yet know if Joseph will stick around, right? I mean, she's she's worshiping even though she has no idea what's going to happen she might very well be outcast and set aside she might be a single mom unable to care for the needs of her family there's all these question marks in her mind and yet what's her response her response at that moment is to worship and to rejoice in who god is in what he has done and what he's doing in her and i'm like man there's something great there isn't there I mean, so often we think the opposite. We're like, no, we want to wait until all of our problems are solved, right, before we, before we worship, before we rejoice. We want to see, we're like, God, but do this. We want to we know why you're doing this and what is, give me all the answers first and then I'll worship you. But that's not the way it works, right? Mary here, this 13-year-old girl, says, no, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God. Part of my concern, I think, uh, over what we have seen as a country and as a world uh, this year with COVID-19 and everything else is that we've, for, for many Americans, we've just cut off worship from our, our daily routines and from our weekly routines. Some, some are worshiping online, that's totally fine. Uh, that's not what I mean, but like some have just cut that off. And instead, we're only getting input from here. We're getting social media. So we're getting, we talked about this last week, we're getting hours more a week of social media, which, which by the way, do you think that's a, a, a feeding worship? Or is that more likely probably feeding fear? Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, but here, I think this is, this is fascinating. Mary, I, I love it, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And I think that's, that's just a crazy, it's, it's a crazy cool image. She's saying, boy, I want, uh, I want 
the Lord to be amplified. I want to see him more. I want to see his plans more. Uh, one author I read this week said, you know what, uh, people that come from her kind of background, from that kind of poverty, learn real early on you can either magnify your problems, and that's what you can set your eyes on and you can focus on and obsess over and think about and run the tapes in your head and try and do that, or you can magnify the Lord. And I said, boy, this 13-year-old girl, she learned real early on, that's the way I want to live. I want to live my life to magnify, to focus on the Lord and His goodness. I want to see Him more clearly. I want to proclaim His goodness. I want to worship and know Him. And again, I'll just hit the pause button and say, man, which one have we been magnifying this year? Have we been focusing in on all the things, COVID and everything else related, that are wrong with this world and wrong with our country and wrong with my life and wrong with whatever? Are we focusing in and spending time magnifying that? Or are we learning to say, God, you are the one we need? Part of the Anoim kind of thing is they have learned and, and even resigned to the fact that they can't do it on their own. They are 100% dependent on God. And I think some of the time, we fool ourselves into thinking that we're different. Right? When things are going well, we think, you know what, maybe I am strong enough. Maybe I am good enough. Maybe, maybe I can sort of just chart my own course and do my own things. And I think 2020 has pulled back the curtains on that a little bit and reminded us of like, dude, you are not in control nearly as much as you think you are. So are you going to magnify your problems and stay focused and obsessed there? Or are you going to surrender those things and set your eyes back on Jesus and worship and praise? Find your joy and your life and your salvation in Him. Put your hope fully in Him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yeah. I just think, man, that's a good word. Philippians 4 um, Kind of goes along with this, right? It's a verse I was thinking about this week as well. Just rejoice in the Lord. It says, what's that next word say? Always. What do you think always means in the Greek? Always. <laughs> All the time. Rejoice in the Lord always, it says. Again, and he's, he goes, if you didn't hear me the first time, hear it this time. He says, I'll say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Would you magnify him? Would you set your eyes fully on him? Sometimes it's so easy for us to get tunnel vision and see only the problems, and they become magnified. And we think of joy and worship as being things that happen when all of our problems are taken care of, when all of our problems are solved, but that is not the case for Mary. It's not even what we're called to. She's learned the secret of trusting and surrendering and then rejoicing in God. How many times does God say to us, just stop worrying Stop being so afraid. Fear not, for I am with you. Quit obsessing over your life and worrying about the whole world and carrying everything on your shoulders. Instead, would you drop those things? Would you turn to the Lord? Would you rejoice? Would you call on my name? Would you draw near to me over and over and over? Why? Because the King has come. I mean, we're going to talk about this Christmas Eve. We're going to focus in uh, on this because we, we've spent two weeks talking about what do we do in the waiting. And then Christmas Eve, we're going to focus all, all in on when the King comes. Because for those of us that are Christ followers, waiting is 
what we do in the here and now, but there will be an end to our waiting, and it will be fully realized when the king comes. And certainly we're celebrating this time of year when the king came 2,000 years ago, busted into our world, opened up the doors of salvation, right, in relationship with God, welcomes us into his kingdom, assures us of eternal life, and we get to experience and live in that in the here and now. But one day when he returns, we will see that in all of its fullness, right? Our waiting at that point will be over, period, right? It will be done. Those things that we, that we have hoped and longed and waited for will be fully realized in Christ at that moment. And we will be with him forever. Our waiting is temporary. <laughs> but with the coming of the king, that's where the good stuff is at. So we're going to focus in on that uh, on Christmas Eve. I'll just give you just a little snapshot here. But like we talked about, the king, as we've talked about, came to set captives free. He came to bind up or to heal those whose hearts have been broken. He came to preach good news to the poor. He came to open up the doors of relationship with the living God, to proclaim freedom for those who have been tied up by sin and addiction all their lives. He came to comfort those who mourn, to bring security and peace to men's and women's souls. He came to illumine the darkness, to send light into the hopelessness and despair of this life with his perfect light. He came to be counselor and king and father and friend. Christmas is a time of year when we remember that the king has come to this earth and he has come into our lives. But we also remember that he is coming again. So we don't have to be overwhelmed and focused on the problems of today. We can rejoice and surrender and trust in the king who has come. Let me just wrap up here and just say this week, I wonder if there's some ways that we can take, take a lesson from a 13-year-old girl, Mary, as we wait. Even when it seems like God is not coming through the ways that we would like, would you, would you and, and, and me, maybe we should open up God's word and set, soak our minds in his book, in his words, in his truth. This week even, would you spend some time reading through the Christmas story? Would you prepare your heart to really open, your, open wide up and receive and surrender to the king, the coming of the king, the coming of the Savior? Would you dive into God's book? Would you spend some extra time and energy this way, sort of stepping away from the hustle and the bustle of the season and uh, turning aside to come and know this great king whose birth we celebrate? Would you open up your heart and your life to him, surrendering yourself to his leadership afresh? And would you have a heart that prays like Mary did, that, that, right, that rejoices, that worships, and prays, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said, Lord, to surrender my plans and my will and my hopes and my dreams. I surrender those things into your will. May you have your way in me. And in the meantime, while I wait, in the meantime, when there's so many questions, in the meantime, when I acknowledge I can't control everything that's going on, Lord, I'm going to choose to magnify you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to praise and get to know and draw near to you. Would you do that this week? Let's close in prayer. Father, that's our cry. Uh, we, we are people that are dependent. We are people that are in need. Whether we know it or not, God, we are the poor. We are people that cannot take care of it on our own, that can't uh, force or control or uh, whatever so much of our lives. And so we come to you this morning. We just open up our hands and hearts, and we just say, would you come, Lord Jesus? Would you, would you come, King Jesus, and take up control in our lives? Lord, we need you. I pray that you would teach us and, 
and, and lead us, prompt us this week to magnify you. I pray that we would be people who would, who would be quick to worship and to, to uh, rejoice in who you are and what you have done. Fix our eyes on you, Jesus. I pray in ways that, uh, I don't know, that we've been kind of taking stuff on our own shoulders and trying to control it ourselves or even just getting mad and frustrated and whatever, that things aren't going our way. Lord, would you, this week, would you teach us just to bow before you and to open up our hands and hearts and say, God, I surrender. May it be to me as you have said. I need you. And God, fill us with hope and life as we recognize the coming of the King, the coming of the Emmanuel, the God that is with us. Pray that our hearts would be wide open to receive you, to live in your kingdom, to live in your light. And to step into the joy even that you have for us. God, we love you. We need you. We just offer ourselves to you afresh this morning, God. Pray may your kingdom come and your will be done. We ask this in your name. In Jesus' name.